it was a zoom conversation. And again, for us, you know, our objectives in this camp um, is very similar to Ballo and last camp is how, how many minutes can we give him on the field that, you know, he can build up in a safe way and then go back to Dortmund and really, you know, propel him to make a big impact for, for his club. Way here on ESPN Plus on Thursday, October 5th. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I am Sebi Salazar. This is episode 290 of this fine show. We chug along towards 300. Herc, how you doing out there? Nice gear. I like it. Argentina. You see how I'm chugging? You know what? I got to show you this before we get serious up in here. Wow. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 290. Well, anti-messy rhetoric from you, huh? Yeah, that's me. 290, that's crazy because there are some shows that, you know, a lot of people have gotten a lot of shows that haven't lasted even a year. And here we are, chugga, yes. chugga, 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 Here chugga. we what are. What are you wearing? Well, I got a, a beautiful kit here. It makes me a little bit sad to wear it. It's the Austin FC kit. They, of course, uh, that is beat the brakes off my DC United on Wednesday night, pretty much ending DC United's playoff hopes. So I lost a bet here to some friends down in Austin. I got to wear their, uh, that their is, beautiful That is a very there. beautiful jersey, one that I've been waiting on for quite some time, my uh, Austin <laughs> okay. TV people, that you know who you are and uh, still waiting on it. Anyways. All right, so uh, lots mm-hmm. coming up here on episode 290 of Football Americas. Uh, Herc's got an interview with Naomi Germa, one of the rising stars for the U.S. women's national team. We have chaos at Chivas. We will dive into that down in uh, Liga MX as well as all the latest from Major League Soccer, Inter-Miami, chasing a playoff spot without Lionel Messi, who, by the way, Herc, today, called into the Argentina national team. But let's oh, start with the national him. team of these United States. Uh, Greg Berhalter, naming his list of 23 players for the upcoming friendlies against Germany and Ghana. Uh, just two goalies on this squad, Matt Turner and Ethan Horvath. There you see them there. Also worth noting, just uh, two MLS players on this squad. They're both in the back line, Dewan Jones and Miles Robinson. All told, eight defenders. No Anthony Robinson. He's dealing with Pubalgia, which you'll remember is what happened to Raul Jimenez just before the World Cup, so that's a concern. Uh, Mark McKenzie also out uh, with an injury. Christopher Lund and Dewan Jones, the aforementioned, kind of your left-back options there with Jedi out. Berhalter calling in seven midfielders. The big name, obviously, there, Gio Reyna, back with Berhalter for the first time since the scandal that nearly blew U.S. soccer apart. The big surprise, Leonard Maloney, the German-American duel now. We'll talk about him in just a little bit. Worth noting there, the very big absence of Tyler Adams. Six players, Herc, listed as forwards in this roster out wide. You got Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, Kevin Paredes, and Brendan Aronson. And then uh, up top, of course, Ricardo Pepe and Flo Falaren Balogun. But again, the top story is Gio Reyna. Here's Greg Berhalter with more. It was, first of all, the, the conversation was um, positive conversation, um, you know, appreciative of t- him taking time and being able to connect. And really for us, it's about, um, you know, aligning, aligning on how we're moving forward. And I think we did that. The exact contents of the conversation, um, I'm going to leave private, but we're in a good spot to to prepare for this camp and to, um, and to really... In, in my opinion, treating this very similar to how we did with with 
Ballo in last camp is build him up, build his minutes up that he goes back to Dortmund um, in a better place and using him on the field um, in a way that he can return to Dortmund um, ready to go. So that's going to be important for this camp. Well, I'd say that, you know, the conversation was positive. Um, I was really, really just appreciative of, of the conversation and Having said that, you know, acknowledging that it, I think it, it will take time. You know, there, it's a difference between a Zoom call and, and and being in person. But I think that both intentions are positive, and the idea is that um, you know we we work together for the team to be successful. And I think we're both prepared to do that. So um, you know, I think that although it may take some time, um, we're both aligned with what we want to accomplish. Madrak, he hasn't played for club or country since June 18th. Is now the right time for Gio Reyna to be reunited with Greg Berhalter and the U.S. men's national team. Listen, man, anytime you get a chance to bring in one of your best players who's not been playing to try to get him right, that's the right time, and that's a reality mm -hmm. here. I'm not buying for one second the whole narrative at Dortmund that Gio is fine, just not playing. That there isn't anything wrong off the field or on the field, he's just not playing. Um, this could be a great refresher for Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna is a player that has shown time and time again that when he is healthy, when he is fit, he could be very productive. Seven goals, four assists for Dortmund last season. A lot of those goals, as you remember, Seb, produced ties, results, last-minute goals, or wins for Dortmund. Wins that helped him go into the final day, the final week in the Bundesliga and let the championship slip away. But he was an integral part of that. So I'm not buying for one second that he is physically fit, he is training, and he's fit enough to be on the bench, but he can't get one single minute with Dorman. So this could be a great refresher for him to move on, and I'm sure a welcomed, very welcome scenario, even if it is with Greg Berhalter, something that Gio Reyna desperately needs. It's that refresher. Perfect timing, I would say. I mean, most times when a guy hasn't played for three and a half months, Herc, you don't bat an eyelash if he doesn't get called in. But with this player, there's an obvious reason to call him in. And even though it's obvious, I still think we give Greg Berhalter credit, right? He has given Giovanni Reina, even though the fact he hasn't proven that he's ready to play yet for Dortmund, the benefit of the doubt he's going to bring him in. I think that could go a huge way for their relationship. And then beyond that, Herc, what an opportunity. What a big moment for Gio Reyna. You heard Berhalter talking about it there. We want to have him ready to go when he gets back to Dortmund. He's not playing at Dortmund right now. As you mentioned, he needs a boost. And what better opportunity than the game against Germany? Can you imagine if he has a big game against Germany, the message that'll send to Eden Terzic, everybody back at Dortmund, that this guy needs more minutes? I think it's a huge moment for him with the national team, but I also think this could be a significant platform for him as far as his club situation is concerned. And when we talk about Gio Reyna, Herc, I've said it before, I'm not 100% convinced he's at the right place anymore when we talk about Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> you think? He's 20 years old. He should be playing. He played more when he was 16. That's a reality. He's playing less and less with Dortmund. So, yes, you could argue right now he needs to leave. He needs to go somewhere else. Where that somewhere else is, that's a great question because I'm sure mm -hmm. Dortmund isn't going to let him go cheaply. Yes. Well, hey, if Germany plays like they did against Japan, could be a great night uh, for Gio there to uh, show everybody just exactly what he can do. Not a surprise to see Gio Reyna. It's a big headline, but not a surprise. I think the surprise of this roster, Hurt, has to come in midfield. 
It's Leonard Maloney, a player that I don't think too many people in the U.S. men's National League pool were paying all that much attention to. He's a 23-year-old dual national. He's born in Germany, eligible through his father, who is American. He's represented Germany at the under 18 and under 19 levels. He's also represented the United States uh, at the under 20 level. Herc, what do you make of this call-up? It's interesting, right? Um, he's a he's a guy that's been in and around the orbit a long time for the U.S. Men's National Team. Clearly, has stated uh, in previous years his desire to play for the U.S. Men's National Team. American father, uh, German mother, was in the Union Berlin Academy system. One of the standout players there as a center back can play right back as well. The type of guy on the field that is aggressive by nature, good stature, 6'2", almost 200 pounds, good physique on him, one of those guys that you just know wants to hunt the ball. And as he says, what, what is it he said in his, in his bio right there? Kill somebody and get get the ball to somebody else? That type of deal, is that what it said mm -hmm. right there? Very much you that, like that mentality. like a midfielder? Uh, well, this is what I'm getting at, a converted midfielder. This is a center back by nature, but his feet are good enough for him to play as a defensive midfielder. His instincts are good enough for him to play as a defensive midfielder. He's the type of player that kills everybody that has the ball. Brian Scaretta, our, our good friend at American Soccer Now, got that interview from him. That's what that bio blast said there, right? And I love that because right now the one player who you don't have, who is of that trait, of that mentality, is Tyler Adams. We don't know what Johnny Cardoso is gonna look like because we've not seen him enough with the U.S. men's national team. We've seen a little bit of Eunice, we've seen a little bit of Musa together trying to fill the void that was Tyler Adams. So I love this, it's a good depth piece if you need to see somebody in a center back and a defensive midfielder which you badly need. And also just the mentality very quickly, okay? A player that last year, or last two years, two years ago, played seven minutes and two appearances for Borussia Dortmund, okay? Goes down a level to try to win himself an opportunity, gets promoted with the team, is it Heidenheim? Gets promoted with Heidenheim, who's mid-table right now. He's one of the better players for his team. I believe the first player to be called up for that team. Uh, it's a great story. They've been promoted from the third division to the first, to Bundesliga in about five years. It speak to his, speaks to his mentality, maturity, and humility to take a step back to see what's forward. Herc, he's an interesting prospect for sure, but there's only eight Bundesliga appearances. He got a couple at Dortmund and now six with Heidenheim. I feel like when Benjamin Kramaski was called up, you pushed back a little bit, right? Saying like, what about the other guys who might feel like they have a better CV, a better case to be called into the national team that see somebody, whether it's because they're, well, most likely because they're a dual nat. In this case, maybe I think also the position is very critical here, right? But called in ahead of them. Uh, do you have any problem from that angle? Because it, it would see, I would think that 30 plus Bundesliga two games last season is not enough to establish this guy as somebody who is really a top 23 player right now and deserves to be That's called That's so in. interesting because uh, what's Malik Tillman's brother? Um, Timothy Tillman. Timothy, Timothy Tillman, Tillman had the yes. same resume, and after four games with LAFC, you were asking for him to be on the U.S. men's national team. So that's very interesting. And, and you just it's nice for Timothy Tillman. Did, did I do? Do I speak and you not listen? I just mentioned how nobody's filled the void without Tyler Adams, and here you have a guy playing in the Bundesliga who's doing that right now, and you don't want to take a look. I mean, who else you want to abdicate for in that position? Who else is there? Because I and that's the thing, Seb, and I think we both know. There are not a lot of options when it comes to that mm -hmm. position. I mean, yeah. Kellen Acosta, you've been through that well, right? Look at Delatore, he's already gotten called in. So is Eunice Musa. You know what you're going to get out of Weston McKinney. Those are players who are going to be there. Johnny Cardozo as well. Who else is there? There really isn't yeah. anybody else. 
Yeah, Tanner Telsman was uh, called in, even Tanner though he's kind Tessman. of like an eight-six, but he was yeah. called in at the end of the last camp. But it shows you when an opportunity opened up last camp to try somebody out, they kind of tried somebody in this role, a defensive midfielder, somebody who could give you a little bit more bite in midfield. Now they're trying out uh, somebody else. At least there's consistency there, right? You can't fault uh, right. Greg Berhalter. He's definitely saying, if I want to take a look at you, even if it's for future planning, you haven't maybe proven it on the field that you're a top 23 guy yet, you know, can I, I just can I just say I something real quick? Can I say something real mm -hmm. quick on because uh, uh, Berhalter spoke about him, and I wanted to just clear this up, you know, for the kids' sake here. Berhalter, what do you like about him? What attracted you to uh, Maloney? And he's like, uh, he's the midfielder with the most distance covered in the Bundesliga. That's not important. Okay, the, the kid <laughs> is much more than than just a runner. His energy, his enthusiasm, he's a terrific team mentality. Uh, these are trigger words for a lot of people. He's a good player with certain characteristics that other players in the pool don't have. And he's going to have an opportunity. Yep. And uh, as you mentioned, also plays as a center back, so that could uh, help when it comes to making rosters. Anything else uh, on this roster? I'm looking at uh, guys that didn't make it. No Alejandro Zendejas, maybe not a surprise based on how he's playing. No Jesus Ferreira, no John Brooks, no Nuka Coleosho. Greg Berhalter mentioned that he had had some contact there. But looks like Italy in the driver's seat for the young man who's starring at Burnley. Yeah, no, no Lucas thus far, he did say his you know, two to be determined. Uh, interesting that it was Greg Berhalter himself that brought up John Brooks. So John Brooks may be in the mix. And listen, mm -hmm. I, I think you said it best. There's two major league soccer players here. Times mm. are changing. The MLS, I'm sorry, the U.S. men's national team player pool is vast. It's not just MLS players. So, yeah, man, I, I think it's uh, almost as perfect of a roster call-up as you can get. Yeah, I mean, if Jedi's healthy, Dewan Jones probably doesn't get called right. in, so that would have been one of 21 players from MLS. I think that's good news for the U.S. men's national team. You're relying less on the domestic league. Compare that to Mexico, how much uh, they rely on Liga MX. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Let's talk some World Cup. Not 2026, sir. No. Let's look even further ahead, shall we? 2030. That's right. The 2030 Men's Soccer World Cup set to feature games in six countries on three continents. FIFA will reportedly accept a bid spearheaded by co-hosts Spain, Portugal, and Morocco as the only candidate for the hosting rights. The agreement also includes playing games in South American countries, Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay, uh, which had earlier promoted a rival bid. This, of course, will be the 100th anniversary of the first World Cup, which was played in Uruguay. Herc, are you cool with this, this multi-continent World Cup? No, I am not, Sebastian Salazar. What a joke. Sorry, I couldn't get that out with a straight face. What a joke. 
FIFA, you are a joke. The 100th, the centennial, 100th year anniversary of the World Cup, I can see them trying to do something with Uruguay. Uruguay is the smallest nation competing at the World Cup and any World Cup they're probably at. They don't have the infrastructure, the organization, the, the economy right now to host a World Cup. So they tried doing it with Argentina. Argentina doesn't either. The, the country is in, in a grave economical situation. Uh, they don't have time to think about soccer and, and hope that they put all their eggs in one basket and it fixes their problems. That's not what it's about. And then Paraguay comes in here. Why? Why is Paraguay in the mix? Because Alejandro Dominguez, the president of Comnebol, is from Paraguay. So all of a sudden they're like, well, well all three of us are doing. So what FIFA does, because this is what FIFA does, okay? This is how sleazy FIFA is. They want to appease everybody. They want to appease the voters. Grease the wheels here, grease the wheels there. This is what we'll do. We're going to make it, okay? We're going to give it to Morocco. We're going to give it to, what is it, Portugal and Spain. But we're also going to give you guys a game each. How about this? A game in Argentina, a game in Uruguay, and a game in Paraguay. And you guys get automatic bids. There you go, mm -hmm. Paraguay. An automatic bid for your president of Comnable. And Uruguay and Argentina get one game as well. And here's the kicker. After that one game, Uruguay, Argentina, Paraguay, and whoever they face will travel more than 9,000 kilometers to different continents, maybe Africa, maybe Europe, for their next group game. Mm. And in a genius stroke by FIFA, they eliminate South America, Africa, and Europe in the World Cup rotation. Mm. And guess what? Look who's prime for 2034 World Cup. Our good mm. friends, Saudi Arabia. And you know what's worse? We're announcing the 2030 World Cup before the 2027 Women's World Cup. FIFA, yes. you're a joke. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up, Herc. People always scream about the revenue difference between the Men's World Cup and the Women's World Cup. Well, why is that? Why is that? Maybe it's because we're planning for the Men's World Cup in 2030 before we plan for the Women's World Cup uh, in 2027. I think there's one other point to make here, and you and I have been in each of the last two World Cups, Herc, in Qatar and Russia. And it's wonderful to include everybody. And it's great that FIFA kind of hangs on to that as the reason that they do this. And we know it's really ulterior motives. But when you're in one place, there's something very special about the vibe of a World Cup. It feels like you are truly at the center of the universe. We had less of that in Russia because it's such a huge country and it was so spread out. We really noticed it, or at least I'll say I really noticed it in Qatar because it was all basically in one city. And there's something very special about that vibe. I don't think if you do a World Cup, what did you say, 9,000 miles? Kilometers. I don't think you can keep that special vibe, right, between Spain, Portugal, Morocco, Uruguay, Argentina, and Paraguay. And by the way, apparently Spain and Morocco are still fighting over who gets to host the final. So that thing that makes a World Cup unique, that really makes it special, I think you lose if you do this. Yeah, and you go corporate because who can afford it? And what about the fan? You're telling the fan now they got to plan for three different continents? You're, mm. and, and, forget, and forget about the actual product. You don't care about the players making them travel almost 5,000 miles in between group stage games? It, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's gotten worse. It'll continue to get worse. If you thought FIFA had changed after Joseph Blatter, Jack Warner, and CONCACAF, all that stuff, it's not. This is proof. The proof is in the pudding right here. What they want to do is appease everybody and get to the bottom dollar. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Saudi Arabia. As soon as the news about 2030 came out, Saudi Arabia went all in on their 2034 bid. So it seems like uh, they got the memo from FIFA as well. Let's stay in the international game. The U.S. not the only team to drop their roster on Thursday, as we mentioned, Argentina as well, featuring 
Not one, but two Inter-Miami players. Uh, Facundo Farias, which sounds like it might be a U23 call-up, but uh, that's not who we're talking about. Lionel Messi in there as well. Lionel Scaloni picking Messi for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers against Paraguay, October 12th in Buenos Aires, then five days later in Peru. The call-up comes despite the fact that Messi's been dealing with a leg injury or fatigue, depending on who you listen to, and it's kept him out for two weeks with Inter-Miami. The 36-year-old has now missed five of Miami's last six games. Herc, Messi was not fit to play for Inter-Miami last night in Chicago, but Argentina calls him up today. Something, nothing, or everything? Everything. And not just because of Messi. I mean, Messi is going to shoot his shot. Okay, let's just get that straight. Me Messi's going to, going to pick and choose when he plays, and I'm, I'm fine with that. And, and I assume Major League Soccer Inter-Miami should be as well because you knew exactly who you were going into business with. I mean, Messi's going to... Pick when he plays, where he plays, how he plays, when he travels. Uh, that was part of the agreement with, I assume, Apple, when I assume Major League Soccer, when you guys gave him ownership of a lot of things. So I'm okay with Messi shooting his shot, picking his shot, picking what happens and where it happens. That is fine. But let me tell you why this is everything. The Messi effect. You mentioned Facundo Farias. Facundo mm -hmm. Farias has played 800 minutes with Inter-Miami across Leagues Cup, MLS play, and, and Open Cup. 800 minutes in the three years since he debuted in First Division in Argentina. He's never been called up. All of a sudden, as Messi's teammate, Ala Benjamin Kramaski, how he got a call to the U.S. Men's National Team, you are shining brighter. There is a platform for you. This is everything. We're talking about now how this changes the game for Major League Soccer. Three players mm -hmm. on the defending world champion roster on this call-up right now for Argentina. A player who was never close to it, now all of a sudden is because he's Messi's teammate. This is everything. It's the Messi effect. All right. Uh, I think here a call-up is different than playing, right? If he plays for Argentina and he doesn't play for Inter-Miami against FC Cincinnati this coming weekend, right? They've got a game on Saturday. If he doesn't play in that, in that game and then he goes to this game in Buenos Aires on the 12th and plays, it's gonna look bad for Inter-Miami, right? It's gonna raise questions. I think it's gonna prove what his priorities are, which is Argentina over Inter-Miami. That's understandable. That's not surprising. It might be logical, but to your point, it's problematic. It's gonna be problematic for Inter-Miami next year when, as we mentioned on the last show and we quite fought about, their ticket prices are much higher, but it's also 4%. really gonna be problematic for the rest of Major League Soccer, right? Because Everybody in MLS, from the league itself to the corporate partners to the road teams, have to plan to have this guy. They want to have this guy in their building. And if he's picking Argentina over in Miami, there's going to be a lot of games missed. That, that game is on October 17th against Peru in Peru. The next game for Miami is October 18th. And then they got another game three days later against Charlotte. I think it's back-to-back -back against yep. Charlotte, right, yep. on the 21st. So, I mean... Realistically, if Messi's arriving on the 18th, he's not playing on the 18th. Do we even think he's playing on the 21st? That's the season right there. And that's why it's problematic. You understand why Messi picks Argentina. But if you're in Miami and you're paying that salary, it's not how the rest of the players in the world work. Can I you ask you a question? Can I ask else. you a question? What happened mm -hmm. last time uh, there was a massive international star that caused uh, uproar and, and tickets and fans and, and sponsors and he had an early exit in the regular season, no playoffs. What, what happened to that star? Where did he go? Do you remember? Who are you talking about? David Beckham. Oh, when he went on loan. He goes on loan. What's mm. going to happen when Messi realizes he's not playing for three to four months? 
Is he going to be okay with it, or are we going to see a situation where he goes on loan? Because when Beckham went on loan, what happened? He got injured. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, producer Beto just getting in my ear. Apparently, Oss is reporting that uh, Barcelona are already trying to work something out. Maybe they found a, yet another economic lever to uh, propel themselves forward in the pursuit of Lionel Messi. Without Messi, Inter-Miami uh, in Chicago last night, as we mentioned, in front of 62,000 at Soldier Field. Uh, Chicago rolling in this one by a final score of 4-1. to one. The game played uh, on some pretty ugly conditions, Herc. Just the football lines, man, and the terrible spray paint job that was done. Our guy Jared on Shakiri with not one, but two goals. He gets a brace. Big win for the Fire as they move above the playoff line. As for Inter-Miami, still not moving up the standings. Still 14 uh, in the Eastern Conference. No Jordi Alba in this one uh, for Inter-Miami as well as their postseason hopes start to fade away in the Windy City. Now, that's the bad news for Inter-Miami as they lose to the Chicago Fire by a final score of 4-1. to The good news is that not all is lost. What do I mean? Well, there's always postseason awards to fight for. Lionel Messi has been shortlisted for both MLS MVP as well as Newcomer of the Year because Lord knows this guy has more space in his trophy cabinet. Also, Sergio Busquets on the shortlist for MLS MVP and Newcomer of the Year. Both joining Inter-Miami midseason. Messi with just four MLS appearances, one goal, two assists. Ten of his 11 goals coming in League's Cup play. Well, what do you think, Kirk? Is Messi's MVP nomination legit? Like, I would always... Like, Leo Messi's too humble of a person, too, like, good of a guy from everything I've seen for him to be okay with this. He, 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 I would assume Messi would become embarrassed and disgusted by this and would his camp would probably pick up the phone call to MLS and their execs. What the hell are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Four games. This undermines their own league, by the way. Their own officials, their own league officials are undermining their own league, their own players, and their own accomplishments. You already have a situation where the rest of the world has some sort of distorted perception of your league. And here you are, given Messi a nomination as a league MVP for four games, one goal, two assists, in 247 minutes, that's going to build the credibility here? What am I to think if I'm Luciano Costa, Diego Almada, Boanga, Hani Mukhtar, the defending MVP? Yes. Come on. Your fans deserve more. These players deserve more. Yeah. It's not deserved. I think if we were really doing an honest shortlist, there's probably three guys. I was interesting to see the production put Almada on there. I would have put uh, Mukhtar up there. I would have put Boanga. Boanga's there. And Lucho Acosta's going to get it, right? Yeah. 16 goals, 13 assists, supporter shield. It's it's pretty much got to be him. Uh, look, man, I get why they did it. They're going to get some attention. It doesn't bother me nearly as much, Herc, as the Chicago Fire offering a, not a rebate, but a credit uh, to fans who were maybe disappointed not to see Messi. And it doesn't bother me nearly as much as Inter-Miami claiming that Lionel Messi was questionable when he didn't even travel to Chicago. Those things bother me more than Lionel Messi being lumped into the MVP conversation in Major League Soccer. Yeah, I love these stats, by the way, because there's a player who probably played, I don't know, five games and scored five goals, and the production's leaving him out, right? Uh, but you, you can't say after four games, Luciano Costa has those stats after 30-something games. Cucho Hernandez has those stats after 30-something games. You're mm -hmm. inflated with a lower amount of games. It's it's unfortunate. It's it's 
You do this to yourself. You did it to yourself. I know, but look at it. Could you imagine Lionel Messi accepting the Landon Donovan MVP award? What a moment that would be for the uh, Inter Miami star. <laughs> steady, steady. Our uh, good friend of the show here. No, great. But I'm sure. I'm sure Messi. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I played in a World Cup against him a couple times. All right, uh, actually, Argentina well, not against him. In the same World Cup, in the same World Cup. You know what I mean. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's move on to Liga Mekis, shall we? There is a crisis at Chivas. Uh, let's start with the three players, which uh, include... Mexican national teamer Alexis Vega, as well as Chicote Calderon and Raul Martinez, an academy player, who have been suspended indefinitely from the team for what the club initially called breach of internal protocol. Since been reported that players snuck women into the team hotel after the 1-1 draw against Toluca on Sunday. Chivas, by the way, eighth in the table, no wins in their last six. You can add to that misery a midweek report from Fabrizio Romano that Chivas manager Belko Panovic has been contacted by La Liga club Almeria about their managerial post. Uh, Moises Llorens reporting that Panovic also has offers from MLS and had a meeting today, Thursday, uh, with Chivas owner Amari Vergara and sporting director Fernando Yero to decide his future. There was a press conference and Belko Panovic uh, did not exactly answer about his future, uh, only wanted to talk about the Clásico Tapatio, of course, uh, Chivas against Atlas this weekend. All right, Herc, what do you think is the bigger issue at Chivas? The latest example of player indiscipline or Velko Panovic threatening to jump ship? All right, the bigger issue is, has been, and will always be the players because they're, they're limited to what type of players they can have. And I'll get to the players in a second. Let me have 30 seconds on Velko Panovic, please. Mm-hmm. How embarrassing vergonzoso lo de Velko Panovic. For this man to sit here and preach unity and preach this brotherhood, a family. Nobody gets off the train, he said after the Toluca game. Nobody gets off the train. And he couldn't even muster the courage to answer a question of if the reports were true that he was leaving. And now we're hearing reports that versus Atlas, it will be his last game. This man is a fraud. He is a fraud. Everything he's been trying to peddle, trying to sell, all this smoke, we knew it from the beginning. And if I'm one of those players in the locker room, I can't look at this guy anymore. I can't Hmm. look at him. I can't take anything he is saying seriously. Now to the players. And I'll speak specifically on Alexis Vega. 25 years old, you've not done anything. Never had a season 
of over five goals. Oh, he's not a forward? Never had a season of over five assists, okay? Never won anything. The highest paid player on that team. Constantly underperforming or injured. Second highest paid player in Liga MX for a Mexican. Only behind Tecatito Corona. You've not done anything this season, and the one thing you do do is set an example for an academy player of what not to do. Hmm. It seems like every time we talk about Alexis, it's about the unfulfilled promise, the potential that he's not living up to. And this is the problem with Chivas. It's a bunch of kids governing themselves, players that have never done anything of worth. This isn't the same Chivas team of old, and I'm going way back. I'm going about the Chivas teams that used to be the base of the Mexican national team. The Chivas teams that had ridiculous amount of talented players that would prove it every time they played. Those days are gone, and everybody in Liga MX knows it. Right, we're looking at uh, Alexis Vega's form. It's not the first time, Herc, that he's gotten in trouble at Chivas. Back in 2020, he and Uriel Antuna got suspended because they were drinking, actually, I believe, after a Toluca game as well. Uh, it's not also the first indiscipline that we've seen at Chivas, but specifically when it comes to Alexis Vega, is it time for Chivas to get rid of this player? There's been some talk about potentially just breaking the contract. They is won't this, just break the contract. Whether it's a second strike or third strike or whatever, is it time for Chivas to move on from a talented player when they, we know, as you said, they have a very limited pool of players to choose from? Yeah. Is it worth keeping him around at this point? No, it's not. But they won't just rescind his contract because he's worth too much. He's too valuable, so you could potentially sell him. And the funny hmm. problem, the funny thing is here, Seb, I actually think on another club, he would do well, as most players who leave Chivas do well. Jota Otamacias leaves Chivas, goes to León. He's got a season where he's fighting for a goal-scoring title. Um, Uriel Antuna leaves Chivas. He's doing well at Cruz Azul, has been doing well. Cesar Huerta, El Chino Huerta, leaves Chivas, and he's one of the best players in the league with Pumas. It's, for whatever reason, a toxic environment because there is no players of actual cloud, of actual weight hierarchy to keep these players accountable, to hold them accountable. So it's children governing children. It's the Lord of Flies mentality at this club. I think he leaves. And I think when he leaves, we're going to see a different type of Alexis Vega. I think the bigger problem here is the coach. Maybe because we're just not that surprised of the players. But the coach leaving is bad for Chivas in two regards. One, I think... Chivas fans would tell you they were pretty happy with Panovic. I mean, he got him to a final. There had not been much joy for Chivas fans since Matias Almeida left. This guy got you to a final, seemed to be knowing how to work with a limited talent pool, but this group of Mexican players and getting something out of it, albeit the last few months had not been good. Six and, games and without a win. Yeah, and I think two wins in their last 11, you go back to the League's Cup. So it's been a, it's been a pretty long dry spell. Uh, that said, I think the bigger issue here is kind of the perception for Chivas, right? It makes you look small as a club, and it makes you look like a disaster as a club because one of the reasons that this guy is leaving is in discipline. Like, he's almost hurt, almost, and I think some people will see it this way, justified in leaving because the team has truly let him down. And I think if you think about it from a Chivas perspective now, this leaves a dumpster fire at the door of their big name but relatively new sporting director, in Fernando Yero. I mean, he's going to have to sort this out. You think he's the guy to do it? What's he shown us in his past that would make us think he's the guy to do it? Because he was good know. at soccer? And honestly, I don't even know what sorting it out is at this point. I mean... Seb, you, how do you, however you want to take this, that, that he thinks... 
Almeria is a bigger team. Almeria is a bigger team than than than, than Chivas, or that this is once in a lifetime opportunity to play against mm-hmm. to coach against the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid. He played Atlético. it Almeria. It's worth he mentioning. He did play Maybe Almeria. Some, but know. even then, we've seen so many times coaches who fail in Liga MX get opportunities in La Liga. It happens time and time again. Cudet was in La Liga. I'm going, mm-hmm. uh, Jorge Almiron was in La Liga. He's at Boca now. Turco Mohamed, after not doing well, went to La Liga. Javier Aguirre got fired from Monterrey, ended up at La Liga, etc. There's, there's been countless times where we've seen this happen. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like the opportunity would still be there, but it's a situation where he's just looking at the right end of the wall. And that's what angers yeah. me. Like, he won't even... St- Tough it out. Stick it out for these players. So how fractured is that relationship with those players? Especially, as you say, hard to swallow, and it's a guy who's been preaching unity. Unity, unity. That's his, uh, his big selling point. All right, well, if you want to know what, uh, what Velko Panovic's next team might look like, you can find out right here on ESPN+. Plus. Almeria taking on Athletic Club de Bilbao on Viernes. That's Friday for those of you uh, following along in English. 2.55 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN+, Plus as well as ESPN Deportes. All right, time to hand out some Champions League superlatives. Let's start with the best moment. We'll go to PSV against Sevilla. Malik Tillman drawing a penalty as PSV earned a 2-2 draw against the Spanish side. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Sergio Ramos right there. It's a clear penalty. Clips him. It's not only Malik Tillman. This is a combination play with Ricardo Pepe, who just came on. And then on the outside, to tie the game, it's actually uh, Chucky Lozano, free kick whipped in. So the CONCACAF contingent coming through on this 2-2 draw. Look at that. Uh, Luke de Jong there. Could have been a Club America player involved as well as uh, PSV gets a valuable point. The biggest letdown? Ah, it's got to be the one that we thought would feature all the Americans. AC Milan against Borussia Dortmund. The letdown here that it ended in a, you know, rather boring, scoreless draw. Christian Pulisic did get the start, didn't score, getting an assist. Look at this, Obviously, look at this. the game finished scoreless. Oh, that you was have his to see big that. chance right there. Big chance right at the goalie. Yeah, but... Uh, I- Gio Reyna didn't play at all in this game, Herc. That was a letdown as well. That was a letdown. I'm more disappointed that he couldn't read what Rafa Leao was trying to do and, and get the ball back there. Uh, listen, David Calabria, the team captain of Milan, is doing Pulisic no favors. He's a liability, um, and he's a team captain. He's one of the weaker players on the team. So it doesn't really give Christian Pulisic a lot of freedom or a lot of liberty where he thinks he's going to be safe if he goes forward. Uh, this was a huge opportunity missed, not only for Christian Pulisic, uh, Yunus Musa and co., but Milan in the Champions League. It was a massive letdown. The result they let slip away at San Siro versus Newcastle. Newcastle ends up beating PSG 4-1, leaves this group wide open. So now it's a must-win game against PSG uh, for Milan next time they play. So this is, this is a letdown for sure. Yeah, I didn't think it was that bad of a performance individually no. from Christian Pulisic. He wasn't great. You saw the chance that he missed. Chukweze comes on, and he also had a chance. I would think a better one uh, than Pulisic, and he missed it there. So at least Pulisic doesn't come out uh, looking bad. and doesn't have the guy who replaces him eventually end up scoring. Christian Pulisic there uh, starting in the scoreless draw against Dortmund. What about Yunus Musa? Can we get him some love? Started, played the full 90 minutes. Stefano Pioli went to the bench four times, didn't take Musa off. This is a guy who continues to prove that he can uh, get the job done for AC Milan. And this is the guy who we didn't think would play. We thought Christian Pulisic shooing for minutes at AC Milan. Yunus Musa, and again, Pioli's not a guy who just hands out minutes to young guys. That he's getting this start in the Champions League says he's making some big strides early at a very big cr- club, Herc. I think as much as we say it's a missed opportunity for Pulisic, 
it's a good day uh, at work for Yunus Musa. Absolutely. Whether it's Krunichau or whether it's Rangers or, or it's uh, Pobega, wh whoever isn't there, he's starting to plug Yunus Musa as that utility man, whether it's at the six, whether it's uh, as an interior eight, or whether it's out wide as a right wing back. He's getting those minutes and he's of confidence for Pioli. So he's definitely surprised. Dortmund and Milan then finishing in a scoreless draw in Champions League play. We've got uh, more Champions League coverage here on Football Americas, more superlatives. Who's most likely to succeed? Let's start with Santiago Jimenez, who you'll be reminded is actually suspended. We haven't seen him yet in Champions League. Uh, frustrating, missed out the game against uh, Atletico Madrid earlier this week. Uh, he says, quote, I'd be delighted to play for Real Madrid. Of course, it's a super big club. That would be fantastic, uh, he said in an interview. Okay, very interesting. But by the way, I know his father has also visited Atletico Madrid, so maybe, uh, maybe Madrid future either way there for Santiago Jimenez. Meanwhile, also linked to Real Madrid, Alfonso Davies, his agent saying, there's interest from many teams. I'm sure that Real Madrid could be one of the clubs that would like to sign Davies. There are several Premier League clubs too. They all want to have one of the best left backs in the world. We'll see what happens. All right, Herc, so let's dip into our CONCACAF fantasies here. Who does Real Madrid need the most? Santiago Jimenez up top or Alfonso Davies at left back? No oh, production, what a trap question. <laughs> I see what you did here. Uh, they need a nine the most, but that's not the question. It's who they need, Santiago Jimenez or Alfonso Davies. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with Alfonso Davies. Let me just really quickly tell you something about Santiago Jimenez before I do. It's obvious that since Benzema left, there's that massive void for Real Madrid. Uh, Jose Lu is a competent striker, but he's certainly not the striker that makes you think he's going to score 20-plus goals a season uh, consistently like Benzema has and wouldn't be of that caliber, right? So much so that we're seeing the likes of Jude Bellingham leading the league, or excuse me, and the league, yeah, leading the, uh, not only uh, Madrid but the league in goals. So that's where they're getting their goals from, not the nine position. So, yes, one could argue Santiago Jimenez, he's the nine. He would be a great player there. A nine would be a great welcoming act for Real Madrid. Do you know the last time an Eredivisie number nine went to Real Madrid? There was a transfer from the Eredivisie to Real Madrid. Ooh. Who? Who? Give it. Okay. The year was 2009, and it was John Klaas mm -hmm. Huntelaar. Remember Huntelaar? Oh, yes. I, I, player? Mexico fans remember Huntelaar very That's well. That's right. 2014. That's right. No, thank you. That, that year, he played for Ajax. He scored, well, in the three years he was at Ajax, I should say, he scored 76 goals in 92 games. Ridiculous Ridiculous output. By the way, that Ajax team had Edgar Davids, Luis Suarez, Wesley Snyder. They were there during his time. It was a pretty good team. The coach was a blast from the past. John Van Chip. Remember him? Chivas coach. Ooh, okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Very, very far back. Very far back. 2009. So I, Madrid doesn't really dip in too much in the Eredivisie for their for their strikers like that. Mm -hmm. They like tried, tried and proven. Um, so I will go with Alfonso Davies. Listen, some would say, wait a second. They just, didn't they just buy Fernan Garcia? Uh, what about Ferlan Mendy? They're, they're both there. I get that. Um, and yes, Ferlan Mendy is there. They brought in Garcia. But why are they then still playing Kamavinga every time a left back? Mm -hmm. Because they don't trust either of them. Because in the big games, they want a Galactico. They want a player like Roberto Carlos, Marcelo. That's not one of these two guys. Alfonso Davies is the only world-class player that CONCACAF has. The only player 
that is one of the best in his position in the world. And what does Real Madrid want? They want one of the best in the positions. No, the best in the position in the world. Alfonso Davies is getting there. He learned a position in six months. He's going on year four now. This makes so much sense on so many different levels. Everybody wins. For Fonzi, there are mm -hmm. a few clubs you can leave Bayern Munich that are a step up. Yeah. Real Madrid is one of them. Alfonso Davies, the left back at Real Madrid. Could you imagine him and Vinicius, whoever they put out on that left wing? Maybe Mbappe at some point down the road? Uh, wow, you're talking about a, a real threat. Look, I think your point about the nine is true. Like right now, if I'm building Real Madrid's team, it's, it's the need. It's the need moving forward. And there's some precedent here, right? If you're a Mexico fan, of course, your first big superstar ever was Hugo Sanchez. So maybe we could think of Hugo Sanchez 2.0 here with Santiago Jimenez. I do think if he's flirting with Real Madrid, this is something that's in his mind. And I like that. I like that he's thinking of himself potentially playing her at the biggest club in the world. I get it. Feyenoord is a, is a long way from Real Madrid. And I think the reason you pull up those uh, Huntelar numbers is to say that he scored a lot in the Eredivisie. Maybe it didn't necessarily translate to La Liga. Is he that what you're after, saying? He left after one season. Okay. In La Liga, so you're saying in the, the big numbers in Eredivisie don't translate uh, to La Liga. And they've proven that they don't translate maybe to other leagues as well. I think what we have to bank on here with Santiago Jimenez, and I'm sure what the people around him are banking on, is that he is a different player. He is not maybe the quality of some of the other guys who have gone through the Eredivisie and dominated. That he is indeed at another level. And I think the production we're starting to see this season, both in goals and assists, involvement with other players, uh, is proof of that. Is he ready right now for Real Madrid, man? Not like Alfonso Davies is ready. Davies is way closer to Real Madrid level than Santiago Jimenez. But if, if you're a Real Madrid fan, I think they would tell you the priorities up top, not at left back. Yeah, priorities up top, and I think they're waiting for Mbappe, and Mbappe will eventually get there, and he'll probably play that nine position. Now, there's no bigger fan of Santi Jimenez on this show than myself. I believed in the kid when he was still in Cruz Azul. I still remember around the MLS All-Star game versus Liga MX All-Star where you asked me, who would you take right now, mm -hmm. Ricardo Pepe or Santi Jimenez? That and was at the height of the Pepe hype train as well, by yes. the way. And in the future, and I still said Santi Jimenez. I believed in him that much. He's proven me right, but there are certain echelons to get mm -hmm. there. You mentioned Hugo Sanchez. Hugo Sanchez didn't go straight to Real. He went to Atletico. Correct. Proved at Atletico, and then he went to Real. So there, Real has a certain pedigree with its nines, a certain way of doing things, and I would love a massive club for Santi Jimenez. I believe that, I believe that much in that kid's mentality, his work ethic, his environment. He's got a good support system around him with his father, uh, but all in due time. You know what could be a good uh, midway step? between the Dutch league and Real Madrid, Borussia Dortmund. Why do I mention Borussia Dortmund? One, because he has been linked to Borussia Dortmund, but also because you can watch Dortmund uh, on Saturday against Union Berlin and Brendan Aronson. Coverage starts 9.30 a.m. Eastern time right here on ESPN+. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
What a beautiful stop from Gurma. Excellent defending from Gurma. Good work from Gurma. She just stood her ground. Well, Naomi Gurma for me, obviously, uh, she was brilliant. She, you know, is playing uh, way beyond her years. Um, she's young, but she's in control. She's consistent. She's intelligent. Call me crazy, call me Naomi, thanks for being with us, Football Americas. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. So listen, the good people at Allstate in U.S. soccer unveiled a coaching mural excuse me, on the west side of Chicago. Uh, Lynn Williams, Crystal Dunn, yourself served as inspiration, even um, were asked for creative direction here. I guess my question is, what is a coaching mural? Um. Yeah, we unveiled the coaching mural together and um, pretty much a coaching mural is like an interactive way to learn how to play soccer. All you need is a ball and yourself. Um, and the mural is really cool. It has different um, like different techniques of how to strike a ball. Um, like it has a goal, uh, you can shoot on it. Um, just has a lot of different coaching points. And um, I think it's just really cool that you know, kids can go and learn how to play in a non-traditional setting. And even if they are playing on team, it's just a good way to continue developing and continue getting better. So it, I'm very curious about the location. It seems very deliberate. The west side of Chicago, the inner city. I, I'm very curious of, of why it's important for you to create these safe spaces for these kids. Yeah, I think it's really important to just have a place to play. And um, in a city, it can be hard to get field access. Field access, So um, just, it's pretty cool that all you need is a wall and then you can be training and getting better. Um, and I just think soccer and sports in general is a great way for kids to um, just meet each other, learn a lot of life skills, teamwork, um, hard work, whatever it is. So um, yeah, I think it being in a city is really impactful and I hope the kids enjoy it. You know, I take a look at your story and I identify a lot with it. I'm sure millions of kids in the U.S. will as well. Uh, you kind of depended a lot on the help of others, whether it was rides to, you know, to practice or helping with fees. In this pay-to-play system that we have here in the United States, what do you think could be done to help these kids have more opportunities? Yeah, like you said, I mean, the pay-to-play system makes it really difficult for kids to get integrated into teams and um, I just think we need to improve the affordability and accessibility of youth sports all around. And, um, I think a coaching mural and things like this are ways that can help. Um, and like you said, for myself, it was the help of a lot of people giving me rides, um, giving me scholarships to play on my club teams, um, and just really helping out my family. So, uh, hopefully with more initiatives like this, more kids will be able to play and will have more access to sports. All right, first camp since the World Cup. I guess uh, your overall feelings, what was it like being back with the group? It was great to be back. Um, we had some time away just getting back integrated with our club team. So I think coming back to camp environment and playing two good games against South Africa was good for us. Um, it was also a big celebration for Julie Ertz and Megan Urquino. So I think 
that was really special to be a part of their final camp, just having looked up to them for a lot of my childhood and now getting to play with them. Um, so yeah, I think it was a good camp overall, um, two good results for us. And I think a lot for us to build on for the Olympics. I get, let's stick with Julie Ertz and Megan Rapino because you're just starting your U U.S. Women's National Team adventure, and, and, and they're finishing. And I guess you've mentioned how you looked up to these players. What was it like being there for their final games, the send-off games? It was honestly crazy. I couldn't – I mean, they handled it so well. I couldn't believe it the whole time. I just, like – I mean, they've just been so impactful to the U.S. Women's National Team and also just women's soccer. So I think to have two legends like them um, retiring for me is sad because um, I like playing with them. I like watching them play, but I think like overall, I'm happy for them. Like they've left such a mark and they've had such successful careers. And um, I think they've left the program in a good place for us to continue the legacy. Julie Ertz, I mean, she left the national team and everybody was talking about how do you replace Julie Ertz in the midfield? And when she kindly, finally comes back, excuse me, they slaughter as your center back partner and you guys are the best defensive team in the World Cup, only gave up one goal. Uh, what, if anything, can you take away from Julie Ertz to add to your games, her game that you might add to your game? Yeah, I mean, a lot. I think she's a great player. I've, she played at Santa Clara and I grew up in the Bay, so I would watch her play when I was younger in college too. So um i think having played next to her just learning how much she pays attention to every detail and um just how communicative she is as a defender that's so important and i think it's helpful to everyone around you um so just you know paying attention to those little things like whether it's like are we a step off could we have shifted a step more could we have dropped a step faster um all those little things that make a huge difference in any game but like especially in a world cup so um, I think just continuing to like have that be a part of our backline is really important. All right, so great to hear that from Naomi Germer, one of only a few highlights from the U.S. round of 16 exit at the recent World Cup. Of course, the player for San Diego Wave right now, first place in the NWSL table. Not all is well, though, in San Diego. Uh, Casey Stoney, the manager, was asked about San Diego's MLS team getting priority scheduling at Snapdragon Stadium next year. Here's what Stoney had to say. Quote, all I can say is it frustrates me again that we're an established team in the market and a men's team comes in and gets first picks on schedule. <clears throat> Same stuff. I've been dealing with it for 41 years. Stoney continued, I've been in this game for a long time, so shame that it continues to happen, but it is what it is. Stoney has indeed been around this game for a long time, the former England international. All right, Herc, uh, what do you make of this move from San Diego FC? So that's in response to a podcast that uh, Sean Penn, is it? I'm sorry. Tom Penn. Tom, Tom Penn. Penn. Not that. Yes, that would, that, that would be noteworthy. Yes. Alex, XLAFC, excuse me. Um, President Tom Penn did with two balls and a mic, their podcast, those guys out there in San Diego who do a good job. Um, I don't know what to make of it because in that podcast, Penn is talking about how they're one of two tenants, the other being the wave, but they have priority on the scheduling. Why do they have priority? Is it contractual? Are they giving more money? Uh, why is it that San Diego FC and the men have priority over these women who were already there, who, who kind of laid the, the groundwork, you know, who, 
who did the grunt work, if you will, to prove that the concept exists. There are fans in San Diego, those soccer fans in San Diego, the ones who are fiddling up Snapdragon already. Why should they be second rate? <clears throat> so I don't know. And that's the thing, it just, it's just a bad look because we don't have the information. It just looks like big bank take little bank here. Yeah, so the first priority tenant in all of this is San Diego State University, right? They right. own the facility and their football team, that's who gets first dibs. Uh, what Tom Penn said in that interview is that they negotiated with San Diego State. So I'm gonna put some of the blame here on San Diego FC for sure. I'm also gonna put some of the blame on San Diego State. You already had a tenant that you've been working with in the San Diego wave. Why did you give their spot up to the men's team? I think that's an important question here to ask too. Bigger question here, Herc. Is San Diego FC going to have any friends left in town when this is all said and done? They're alienating now NWSL fans. Forget about USL fans who just saw the loyal disappear. And then when the loyal tweeted about their disappearance, guess who was there to, to, to kind of pick up the pieces? That's right, San Diego FC on Twitter. On top of that, Tom Penn, who you mentioned, he came down from LAFC. It makes it feel like a, another McDonald's franchise open. I'm just trying to wonder, like, what's the point of rooting for this San Diego FC team? What about them is enticing to us at this point? I mean, I don't, was it, who's the connection? Machado? Like, who, who are you connected to from the ownership? Who are you connected to? I mean, they've got to completely well, so many, knock it out we've the said park with before. the coaching and the roster because there's no connection to that city thus far. Yeah. Plus, we've said this before, so many other options that we haven't mentioned Cholos. We haven't mentioned San Diego soccer. So, like, there's tons of great soccer uh, there in San Diego. And, of course, we showed you the kits from San Diego State soccer team the other day on uh, Drippin' or Trippin', didn't we? That, yeah. that, was, that was pretty sweet uh, right there. All right. So, yeah, bad look for San Diego uh, FC as they get first dibs on Snapdragon Stadium down in San Diego. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will be back on Monday. We'll take a look at uh, Mexico's roster for the upcoming friendlies, as well as an interview uh, with Cristian Espinosa of the San Jose Earthquakes. He's had a He's good Hercules season. Gomez. I am Sebi Salazar. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.